freaking G, baby. What a time to be alive. Happy belated St. Patrick's Day, everybody. And welcome to the Nesson After Hours podcast. We appreciate you listening. I'm Emerson Lazio. We got Celia Godwin here as well. But we are not alone, are we, young lady? No, we are not. Uh, let's go ahead and roll right into it. We got two topics, two guests. You guys know the drill. Jared Weiss of The Athletic, he covers the Boston Celtics. Jared, what's going Ooh. on with the Celtics? Why are they uh, <laughs> losing to the Cavs? What's, what's going uh, on here? Everything's <laughs> totally fine. They just took a trip to Sexland. It didn't go as planned as it always <laughs> does it. And uh, yeah, they're panicking now. Dude, it's ugly. Like, I know Tatum and Brown got theirs last night, like nearly 60, point com- 60 points combined. But, like, why can't these dudes close out games? So, the, well, the funny thing is they were just so terrible in the first half that they kind of closed out the game in the second half, but they were just in too big of a hole to climb out of. So they it, their issue is just that they can't show up for four quarters in a somewhat difficult game. They do step up for the biggest games. Credit to them for that. But, you know, it's a second night of a back-to-back. That's a bit of a challenge. Kemba Walker's out. It's a bit of a challenge. But they're supposed to rise up to these occasions and mm-hmm. actually come through and take care of it. That's how you become a good team. But they're not. They're a 500 team. This is what happens. Yeah. What do you attribute this to, then? Is it un- being unmotivated? I mean, shouldn't they be playing with a little bit more desperation here? I mean, they, they, on paper, they're not a 500 team. That, well, that's a question. Maybe they are on paper a 500 team because we knew oh. coming into the season that they didn't have much depth, that they basically kind of skimped on really filling out the depth of the roster with veterans because they were trying to maintain their flexibility for the trade deadline. So we knew that this could be an issue. We didn't think it would be this big of an issue. So we're expecting some sort of move at least to help shore up that depth. But, you know, one thing that was really interesting was after the game, Jason Tatum was asked about like stepping up and being a bigger leader and stuff like that. And he started saying stuff about like, yeah, I guess I do need to be more vocal and have more of a bigger presence and kind of change the way I lead. And the thing is they were saying that same stuff when they were, you know, like 15 games into the season. Now we're 40 games into the season there. They keep talking about, we need to get better. We need to change the way we do things, but they're so deep into the season. We're not really seeing the progress on it. And there was that little bit of progress right before the all-star break when things were literally falling apart and they got it together for that. But now they lost two games in a row to two of the best teams in the NBA, but then losing this Cleveland game. I think that's when you had to start sounding the alarm again. Yeah, Jared, there was that four-game win streak entering the break. Now one and three out of it. They're frauds, man. Uh, let's play the let's play the blame game. Uh, <laughs> this hasn't been the season, obviously, they envisioned. So players, Brad or Danny, who's got the bigger piece of the blame pie here? Well, this is somewhat by design by Danny, just because of everything I said before. So Danny knew that he was bringing them into the season a little bit handicapped. And so that's – you know, I, I think – he wanted to take the blame. And we saw him do that huge press junket for a few weeks, you know, in the beginning of February, I guess, or late February, uh, where he was really trying to heap the blame onto himself. And I think that is the most reasonable way to go about it. But also, you know, Brad Stevens has had a bit of a clutch or when it comes to, or crutch rather, when it comes to playing those double big lineups that he's finally getting away from. 
uh, not playing Aaron Neesmith and Grant Williams nearly as much and favoring guys like Shemi Ojale, Javante Green, more veteran players that just don't really have a future here. And so I, I do think that Stevens should have been investing in those younger players earlier because look at the dividends it's paying for Robert Williams now, or Robert Williams is finally playing consistent minutes for the first time in his career and he's exploding and he's, yeah. his stock is shooting up across the league now. And now he actually has serious trade value. He's the only asset the Celtics really have that has serious trade value besides like their top two or three guys. So, you know, I think that those guys deserve that side of the blame, but then you also have to put it on the players. So you have to put it on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who frankly seem like they're playing a little frustrated a lot of the time. And for all the stuff that they improved upon earlier in the season, they're kind of falling back onto some of their crutches as well about, you know, I mean, how many times a game is Tatum taking a pretty unnecessary step back three in the middle of an important run he hits them half the time. It's kind of the old Paul Pierce, no, no, yes kind of shot. <laughs> so maybe it's just he's upholding Celtic tradition, and for that we should be lauding him for that. But you know, there's, we're seeing a lot of that kind of stuff, and I think there is a growing sense of frustration here, which is why it's just so obvious they need some sort of change. Yeah, one week until the trade deadline. Um, which Celtics players should be most concerned about being moved? Tristan Thompson, I think first and foremost – he, especially now that he's in the COVID protocol and doesn't really, he isn't getting a chance to play his way out of the trade block. His, his contract, when he signed it, it was designed for him to potentially be moved. It was the piece that they needed to match salary to go get a good veteran on the market. And there's a lot of veterans that fit their need of a stretch four, like a big board that can handle the ball a little bit, can shoot the ball well, can defend multiple positions that's what they really need that's what they were hoping grant williams could give them but also they haven't really been playing grant williams enough for them to for him to really give that to them so they need a veteran player that can really step into that role and now that time lord is playing so well and daniel tice is continuing to have a really good season it's just it, it makes a lot of sense to trade tristan thompson for that type of player even though a big part of why they brought in thompson was that they needed a big physical athletic center in the playoffs to like not get killed by Bam Adebayo the way that Daniel Tice was in the conference finals last year. And while that's really important for a very specific matchup in the playoffs, getting like a Thaddeus Young type of player in Chicago, who's a very versatile forward, you know, that's a player that can help you in pretty much every single situation. And so I think that they are probably more than happy to make that sacrifice. And Tristan Thompson, I think is more than happy to play ball with that too. Yeah, and I see on Twitter, I see that pinned tweet, start Time Lord. Like, you're ready for him to enter the starting five. It feels like every green teamer is. Sure, and I mean, I'm, I'm someone that I've been saying forever, it doesn't really matter yeah. who starts, it matters who finishes, but part of who finishes is informed by who starts. If you start the game, the rotations and the substitution patterns are set so that those starters are then positioned to finish out the game. And it just becomes so apparent that, Rob Williams is their most impactful player at that position. And Daniel Tice is still very important because he stretches the floor very well because he's such a versatile defender and he's a really good, consistent defender. He doesn't make the big plays that Rob Williams makes, but he is more effective in so many different ways than Rob is in a lot of the subtle ways that are very important. But Rob Williams is, is really making that many mistakes anymore. And that's what was really holding him back. And that's why mm -hmm. when people were so confused why he wasn't getting major minutes, it's because most people can't really see a lot of the small mistakes that he was making that were, were really screwing the team up. But now that he's getting consistent minutes, he's really ironed a lot of that out of his game. And he's just playing so much more competently 
and so much more controlled. And so those big moments that he has, they're happening more organically and less forced. And so the team just is so much more impactful when he's out there. Yeah. Um, before you get out of here, how soon until Brad takes that Indiana job? Oh, that, that happened yesterday. That was already, that's already done. No, it he's, it he's feels like it, man. His name pops up every time there's a job open there. I mean, it, it was his dream job, I'm sure, for a long time. He did a pretty good job of shooting it down. And everything that I've always gathered from him is that he is much more attached to the sport of basketball itself yeah. rather than the idea of that what was a childhood dream. I mean, my childhood dream was to host the Nesson After Hours podcast when I was a little kid, but oh, I've slightly yeah. changed it. Now that I've seen Emerson in action, I know that I can't do that as well Thank as he you. can. So I've, ha I've had to adjust my dreams now. And so I think Brad has gone through that a little bit. Yeah. Well, you know what? Great recognizes great here, dude. And we very much appreciate you hanging out with us here. Jared Weiss of The Athletic. Uh, everyone, uh, subscribe. You guys got a killer deal going on right now, right? Like one one $1. Dollar. Like, it's, it's, it's like the cops. It's like the cost of like one sip of coffee. Forget about a cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Love it, man. Coffee's like $5 uh, these days. Yeah, it's true. And we drink a lot of it here. Thanks, Jared. Appreciate you, dude. Thanks, because we, Jared. We've, Thanks, got a central, uh, we've got a central Indiana guy right now yeah, to get to. <laughs> and maybe, maybe, yeah. he wants, maybe he wants Brad Stevens to take the Indiana job. And John Michael Lyles, former Bruins defenseman, played a decade and a half in the league, now an avalanche analyst. Good to have you here. I saw your reaction on Zoom when I brought up Brad Stevens. <laughs> Indiana. You want him there, don't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up a, a, a Hoosier fan, and uh, it's funny, Brad and I actually grew up in the same town in uh, Indiana, north of Indianapolis, and so when I was playing for the Bruins and he was coaching the Celtics, we we got to uh, interact a little bit, and I think we missed each other by just a couple of years uh, in, the, in that town going to school together, but uh, definitely definitely a small world uh, when you when you really look at it. Uh, you you played for four teams throughout your career. What made Boston different than the others? Man, I, you know what? I I love playing for the Bruins. Um, when I first got traded there, it was a little bit uh, I just I wasn't really sure what to expect. Just having always played in Boston as a visitor and and seeing the passion of the fans. And um, I mean, honestly, I couldn't have picked a better place to finish uh, my career up. It was just the organization was so fantastic to not only me, but my family, the players. I mean, I still have so many great friends from that year and uh, year, year plus that I spent there. And there's a reason why that team's just been so successful for so many years is that they just have such a great core. And, uh, and those guys genuinely care about each other. And every guy that comes in that room just, just feels really, uh, you know, loved um, for a better word, I, I think. And, and I, I was no different. I loved the city of Boston. The people were fantastic. And, and like I said, I just couldn't, couldn't have picked a, a better place to finish out my career. I mean, that perfection line, too, when you were here was like in its early stages. Yeah. Uh, Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak. I mean, how much longer do you think these dudes can do it? I mean, <laughs> Bergie just seems to be getting better. Marshy is, <laughs> uh, is Marshy and, and Pasta. I mean, he's still young. And, and I, I mean, man, the sky's the limit with him. You just mm -hmm. you watch what he does on a daily basis and you don't think that he can pull off some of the things that that he pulls off. And then the next game, he pulls off something even better. So I mean, you know, the three of them, they complement each other so well. Um, and, and, you know, I, I just always look to, to Patrice Bergeron and um, not a not a more deserving person in, in the NHL to be the captain of the Boston Bruins. And when he got named the captain, I sent him I sent him a text and just said, hey, you know, um, 
I, I can't think of somebody more deserving. And, um, you know, I played with Joe Sackick early on in my career in Colorado, and, and he's still one of my really good friends to this day. And, and I, I don't compare... <laughs> I don't compare, compare anyone to Joe Sackick and I would compare uh-huh. Patrice Bergeron to Joe Ooh. Sackick and put him right on that same level. I mean, just the way he handles himself on the ice, off the ice, um, you know, he's just, he's tremendous offensively and defensively and you don't realize how good he is. I mean, you know how good he is, but I, if for me, I didn't appreciate it until I was playing on the Boston Bruins as a defenseman and the things that he does to help you on the ice. Uh, he, I mean, you just, you, you're, you're hoping to be on the ice with him every shift because he's that good. You, you brought up Joe there. Um, that was your yeah. roommate when you entered yeah, the was. league. <laughs> yeah, it was. He was my roommate on the road. That was back when we had to have roommates on the road. Now everybody gets their own rooms. But uh, yeah, Joe was, I was 22 coming in the league out of Michigan State. And uh, and um, they put me with like Joe. He was like 33. Yeah, he was, I think he's 10 <laughs> years older than me. So yeah, he was 32, 33. And um, yeah, they put me with Joe. And I just remember, you know, I'm coming in the league and I'm talking to these guys that I played with in college. And they're like, hey, who's your roommate? I'm like, uh, Sackick's my roommate. And they're like, no way. What's he doing? I'm like, he's watching American Idol right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, yeah, was, he a, was he a good roommate? Like, did you get into reality great, television yeah. more because of him? Well, it, yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I, I was never, I'm never, I haven't been much of a big reality television person ever. But uh, yeah, there was one night a week we had to watch American Idol. That was his thing. And um, I just remember <laughs> oh, you know, that's my rookie, hilarious. Yeah, it, it was pretty funny. That's a, he loves that story. Um, but yeah, we, uh, I just remember if, if I stayed out at the, uh, you know, at the restaurant um past like 10 30 or 11 o'clock at night i would just rent my own room when i came home just so i didn't wake joe up <laughs> that was the rule <laughs> don't wake joe up and so yeah it was uh no we were we were, we we were good roommates he was uh you know he let me have the remote which is kind of unheard of for a whoa and, yeah, whoa. No, unless, yeah, it, whoa unless it was american idol night yeah it was then it was his but uh yeah he was he is awesome. One of, one of my best friends to this day. And uh, yeah, just a, a tremendous person, a tremendous player. And like I said, uh, um, you know, Patrice, uh, very, very comparable to Joe in a lot of ways. Uh, and um, 14 years in, in your career, did you ever think you would play for as long as you did? I didn't think I'd play one game, to be honest with you. I never even really considered being a professional hockey player until I think maybe my senior year of college. Um, you know, I look today and kids are getting agents at 11, 12, 13 years old. I didn't have an agent until my senior year of college. And I probably wouldn't have had one if I didn't get approached by an agent. So um, it, it was, uh, you know what, for me, I mean, I grew up in Indiana. It's not really a hockey hotbed, but uh, just I was fortunate enough to, to keep, you know, making that jump each and every year to the next level and, and found myself, you know, playing for the U.S. national program my junior and senior year of high school. And and, uh, and played, you know, four years at Michigan State. And all of a sudden, you know, I was drafted after my freshman year. And, you know, um, Colorado wanted to sign me. I went and played in the minors. And all of a sudden, you know, made the team out of training camp um, that first year out of college. And, and uh, you know what, if, if you had told me at, at 10, 11, 12 years old that I, I would have played one game in the NHL, I'd have been, you know, I'd have been ecstatic. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to play, you know, over 800. And, um, it was a good run for a short kid from Indiana. Yeah. Hey, you, you played really well in your first year. I mean, you led all rookie defensemen, 10 goals, 34 points. You were on the all rookie team. So you came in pretty dang hot. Uh, yeah, I did. I mean, there's, it was a good team to come into. I, you know, our top two lines were uh, Sakic, uh, Korea, Solani, Forsberg, Hayduk, Tangay. 
And on the back end, we had uh, Adam Foote and Rob Blake. And so I kind of slid in as the sixth defenseman and really <laughs> just get the puck to the right guys and go to the right places. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, you're going to, a lot of good things are going to happen. And, and I just, I mean, I remember that rookie year, my dad telling me just to soak it all in because, you know, who knows if you'll ever be on a team like that ever again. And, you know, I think we fell short of expectations in terms of, you know, we had a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, I think pressure on us with the, the team that we had, but I still, to this day, I mean, just super memorable, um, being able to, uh, to play with all those guys, the number of hall of famers and just tremendous mm -hmm. players that, that we had that year. Was that the best team you played on in your career? Oof. In terms of maybe raw talent, I would yes. say it's, it's it, yeah, I would say so. Um, I love this lighting right now. The sun's, the sun's just right you through my window. You look beautiful. You're, yeah, you are I, glowing. Yeah. I am not wearing foundation. But yeah, in terms of raw talent, that team was uh, pretty, you know, pretty incomparable. I mean, when you look at the number of Hall of Famers and the guys that were on that team, but I mean, we had a lot of good teams early on in Colorado and, and um, you know, I was fortunate enough to play on some teams with, with, uh, with a lot of good players in, uh, in a number of different places. And, you know, I'd argue that, uh, you know, finishing up in Boston, we had, we had some solid teams. Unfortunately, my last year, we lost to Ottawa in the first round, but um, yeah, yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I was fortunate enough to play in, uh, in, in a lot of different places yeah. and play with a lot of great players. And, and, uh, yeah, that first year in Colorado, I would say, um, you know, talent wise was probably the, the, the top of the list. All right. Well, I mean, it, it, that was a great team, both of those teams, seriously. Um, and I know Avs fans are still waiting to, to get Lord Stanley back again. And they just had such yeah. a killer team for the last couple of years, even when I was yeah. in Denver, um, yeah there was just that was always the expectation go get the cup and it was actually mm -hmm. realistic the abs yeah. were the preseason favorite for a lot of people this year how are you feeling about their chances now well i think they're they're they've definitely started to iron things out the last little while i think they've won four in a row now and and uh you know they've they've had their injury issues you know eric johnson's been out for the majority of the year which is a, a big loss he, he just brings so much on that back end and yeah kale mccarr and, and bo byram i mean two really you know really good young defensemen have uh, have missed extended periods of time it sounds like both of them are really close to coming back um you know soon if not tonight and, you know, you know, you lose McKinnon for a few games and, and uh, you know, you, you, you've lost just kind of, you know, key guys here and there. But I, I think they're starting to get back to um, get back to playing the right way. I mean, you know, they started out a little slow against Anaheim the other night. I was working the game on Tuesday and, and uh, you know, down four to two at the end of the first and, you know, exploded for six to win eight four. And I mean, it's it's uh it's amazing what uh you know what they can do when when they play the game the right way and and uh you know you get that mckinnon line going i mean it, regardless of who you put out against nathan mckinnon if he's going and he's on his game there's just you're just trying to to you know keep him to the outside as much as possible and limit his scoring chances to somewhere around 10 um i mean that's just how dominant of a player he is and when you have miko ranton and gabe landeskog playing beside him i mean and those guys are going that's just it's tough. You're, you're trying to keep them on, on the score sheet for only maybe two goals. They're a lot like the, uh, the Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marchand line. Yeah, uh, this Bruins team, though, over on the, uh, in the East, what are the chances you think that they can kind of get it together? I think they've won just uh, five games in their past, like, uh, 14, 15 contests. Like, they're, strugg str they're struggling right now. It, it is up and down, but isn't that kind of the flow of, of the season here? But – you look big picture and think they've got a good chance to hoist Lord Stanley. 
I think so. I mean, you look at them and, and uh, I saw the Rangers beat Philly last night, pretty good. And, and uh, you know, did them a favor. Um, I, you know, I look at it, at them and I see, you know, they've had some injuries too. I mean, Brandon Carlo is a huge loss for them. I think, yeah. you know, he can be, I don't want to say underappreciated, but you don't realize how good he is. And I, you know, I, I, I played with him early in his career and he's only gotten better, but you just look at the minutes that he eats up and, and uh, you know, and what he does, maybe not so much offensively, but he's just so steady back there. And, uh, and he just gives you that presence behind McAvoy that that's a, that's a big loss for them. And then you're kind of, you know, you're trying to put pieces together to fill that in. And yeah, I, I see them. I mean, they've got as good a chance as anybody and uh, you know, goaltending is, is a huge part of that. And uh, you know, if they get good goaltending, which um, they should, I mean, it, it's anybody's game at this point, just given the the kind of craziness of this season and everybody's playing every other night, it's basically a sprint for the, for the remainder yeah. of the year. Yeah. And that's, that's a good point you made too, because even today's pregame skate at Key Bank Center in Buffalo, they're supposed to play the Sabres. That's, that was canceled. It's been canceled now due to a Bruins player entering the league's COVID-19 protocol. So this is a crazy, crazy season. And yeah, I don't know. I feel like big picture, the, the league has done its best, uh, you know, that yeah. it can in these yeah, conditions they're, they're doing what they can i mean it's uh it's it's a it's a landscape that you're just trying to figure out the best way to navigate it and so the league has put in protocols and and uh and tried to find you know the best way to uh you know to put one foot in front of the other and, and get a season done and it's not uh, it's not ideal by any means but it's kind of the the you know the world we're living in and so mm -hmm. the fact that they've been able to do it you know the abs had a 10-day break at one point yep. for, for a COVID outbreak and um you know those are the those are the things that come into play and it's not easy for anybody and you just do what you can to try and avoid uh you know getting put on that list or potentially um you know having that 10-day break and um yeah it's unfortunate that that somebody got put on the the COVID protocol list and we'll see kind of how that plays out because there's a yep. lot of different ways that can go at this point for sure. Uh, John Michael Lyles, we appreciate the time. Former Bruin, current ABS analyst, holding it down out in Denver, Colorado. We really appreciate the time. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. All right. We'll talk soon. All right. Emerson, you want to wrap this baby up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I'd probably say is uh, we're going to skedaddle here is, holy hell, how much money has Bill Belichick spent this week, right? Uh, he still has more. That's the thing. Yeah. It's like, he's not done. I mean, you got, no. you're getting the gang back together. Kyle Van Noy last night, Ted Karras coming back. David Andrews, he's out. But I mean, it's, it's been insane. Like literally yeah. there's no other way to describe how efficient he has been with getting so many guys signed on team friendly deals, spreading out the money. I mean, this team, I'm not going to, I'm going to hold my expectations for them until I figure out what the hell's going on with Cam Newton. But yeah, I that, do that's like what a good point. Do. I do for like sure. it, it literally is like Bill Belichick is playing Madden, like franchise mode, and he's just building his team and spending money like however and wherever he wants, and everyone else is just playing tech mobile right now. But it's cool. It's fun. It's exciting. We've never seen the Patriots do this. And um, I'm looking forward to the rest of the week, man. Season should be interesting, but I agree. Quarterback, yeah. signal, signal caller, but still a big question mark right now. Well, good podcast today. I had fun. Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. Uh, technical difficulties on my end, but, you know, we, we, we got it together. We made it We work. did. Rise you know, above the ish. Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little, you know, a couple tapes here and there. All righty, everybody. We're, we're going to send it home. 
give you guys a lovely weekend. I, I, I think there's probably good weather. You know, I don't think another storm, fingers crossed, coming through no, this way. I don't know, man. Actually, I think we are supposed to get some snow. Don't tell me lie. that. I was I was trying to put the positive vibes out there. No, nope. sorry, man. That. No way. No oh, way. God bless it. All righty, <laughs> New England. We appreciate the time. Emerson Lazio, Celie Godwin. We'll see you next week.